you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I don't know about you, EJ. I am having a pretty damn good week, all things considered. The bad man is finally gone. The, the, the evil has finally been exercised from the building. I'm feeling great. Bill O'Brien's no longer ruining my favorite team. Uh, he certainly left some damage that we're going to have to pick up for the next couple years, and we'll get into that. But EJ, for the first time in a long time, it feels so good to be a Texans fan. How are you, buddy? What are you drinking today? I am nowhere near as good as you, uh, and it's funny because we started a joke the day before this happened. Neither of us had any pre-warning about this, as I don't think anybody else really did either. But we started a joke. You were bemoaning that you were a Texans fan and that, you know, pain on Sundays and, oh, woe is me. And I said, maybe you could get out of it sort of Yakuza, like John Wick style and cut a finger off. And and maybe that would just end (laughs) your Texas fandom and you could be freed from your obligation. And that was literally the day before O'Brien got fired. So it did make for a pretty classic tweet about, wait, did you cut the finger off or did you cut your whole (laughs) hand off? Because you got big returns on this, whatever you did. No, I couldn't be happier for you, pal. I I fully understand what it's like to root for a team that is mired in a long stretch of, let's just call it mismanagement. And when that finally ends, it is... it is a somewhat indescribable feeling. It is a weight off your shoulders. It is tremendously freeing, and I literally could not be happier for you. Neither of us expected this anytime soon. Uh, we both thought the torment would continue for you for much longer, and like you said, there's some damage, but uh, there's also hope, and hope is a big deal. Uh, I have uh, a beer tonight, 16-ounce from Booth Bay Craft Brewery back in Maine, and it is the Jumping Rise sportsman's pilsner named after uh rainbow trout when you hook them and they hop out and you get that jumping rise on the line (laughs) Um, got a beautiful can art to it um and it is a you know as it says it's a it's a pilsner it's five percent abv it's very drinkable it's clear i've had a few of these since my wife got back and um yeah just really good stuff so saved one for the podcast what do you have i i can't wait to hear this so I, I made one 
for this week's film room, which isn't really a film room, it's more of me going through all of the damage that Bill O'Brien did to the Houston Texans as general manager. But I wanted to make a special drink for it. And our friends over at the Virginia Distillery Company, uh, they sent me a, a gift that I did not know was coming in the mail till like 11.45 at night. And, and I open up the package and I get this American single malt from the Virginia Distillery Company that was aged in cider casks. It's their fall uh, seasonal release. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I got to do something special with this. And my favorite cocktail is penicillin, which um, it was, let's see, it's honey syrup, ginger syrup, lemon juice, uh, blended scotch, and then kind of a Lafroy float on top, shaken over ice. And so I was like, okay, well, let me use this. I'm going to I'm gonna make an apple psyllin or an apple penicillin. So it's two ounces of this cider cask age single malt and then three quarter ounce apple juice uh kind of a three quarter ounce half and half of ginger syrup and then i homemade some honey syrup because uh, i'm bougie like that and then shake that over you ice. are bougie like i am that. bougie like i that. can can confirm <laughs> oh but it's so good i sh- shook that over ice and then i did a lafroy topper and uh oof ej it's it's something special this it's a whole different take. You deserve something special. And uh, point number two is I, I got to get on the mailing list for people that just mail me liquor like that. That sounds like a really good gig. So um, <laughs> I didn't expect anyways, it. It just arrived. And I was like, you know what? Uh, the that's even better for me. <laughs> I I have had that uh, s- to shout out a couple of listeners from Bears Over Beers. They have reached out to JB and I on our other podcast and said, hey, we really want to send you something. And a couple of listeners have indeed gone to great lengths to send us a special beer that they, you know, is near and dear to them or is seasonal or or something like that. And that's always a, a great surprise when you go to the mailbox and open it up. And there's some uh, there's some alcohol that someone sent you that really is it's meaningful to them and um, you get to share it and, and talk about it. It's good stuff. So I am extremely glad that you get to have something that is uh, a your favorite uh, to celebrate this catharsis of going through all the the wreckage that Bob caused to your franchise. But uh, again, uh, ends are greater than the means. He's gone and you have a fairly clean slate for the first time in a while. I just wish we had picks, but we'll get into that shortly. Uh, We're going to (laughs) start off our week four recap show with our usual opening segment, The Point After, where we kind of go over a few of the things that we did not get to talk about the week before, because either we didn't get to watch some of the games or we just straight up didn't have time because our shows last forever like that. Um, So kicking off Point After, we got to talk about Kenny Galladay because he is such a key cog to that Lions offense. He is a true number one wide receiver. I almost liken him to like a diet Cortland Sutton. Similar kind of frame. I think Cortland moves a little better, but in terms of just physical dominance at the catch point, uh, like he is a true alpha X receiver. I love Kenny Galladay. And their offense looks so much different with him back. He missed the first game of the year, first two, I think, uh, with injury, came back, and their offense just operates in a different way. It allows Stafford to do things all over the field that he cannot do when Kenny Galladay is not there. It is a night and day difference. And Galladay uses that frame very well in the red zone, but he is not limited to that. He's a good player out between the 20s as well. And he just gives them that triple threat. They have decent running backs. 
They are able to move the ball on the ground, but when Galladay's not there, the defense can pack in and make that much rougher for them. And the combination of Galladay's you know, size and speed, he's not slow, and Stafford's arm gives Detroit a dynamism they just lack when he's not on the field. And you can see it from the first couple games of the year to the these last two, completely different results out of Detroit with Kenny Galladay in the lineup. 100%. Uh, second note we didn't get to, partially because he got put on IR with, I think it was like a quad injury or something like that. Uh, Sony Michelle had the first like kind of explosive looking game that he's had in a long time. It, it kind of seemed like he lost a lot of the juice that he had uh, at Georgia and then that he kind of showed in his rookie year where I feel like he had a pretty nice season. And it seemed like he kind of lost it. But last week's game, you know, only nine rushes, but buck 17, uh, like 13 yards of carry. He even got involved in the receiving game a little bit. He actually looked explosive for the first time in a long time. Then, of course, he got hurt. Um, and they got Damian Harris there, who also just had a nice game against Kansas City. So I don't know what's going to happen with that backfield when, when Michelle gets back. But um, it was nice to see him kind of bounce back and become, at least for one game, the first-round pick that we kind of thought he was supposed to look like. Yeah, I just missed it last week. I had a note. It got buried in, in all of our texts. We didn't get to it. And it was parallel because Nick Chubb's been having a tremendous season, his teammate at Georgia, who's now in Cleveland. And Michelle, like you said, has not sort of lived up to that billing. I thought they were both incredible talents coming out of Georgia, and I thought Michelle was the more explosive of the two. I thought Chubb was the better, more well-rounded runner, but uh, Michelle could really rip off those gash run plays and he just really hasn't shown that in New England, and then he did last week. It was really cool. He definitely moved their offense in a way. The, the Patriots don't typically get those massive games on the ground, and again, with only nine touches coming up with almost 120 yards, that was a difference maker for the Pats that week, and we just didn't get to it. So in classic point after fashion, we did want to get to it. Um, but between Michelle and Chubb, uh, that week, they racked up 31 touches, 250 yards, and two TDs between them. And it's just the ridiculous note that I have to bring up as a draft guy that at one point, Georgia had Todd Gurley, Chubb, Michelle, and Keith Marshall in the same running back room. In 2014, they were all running backs slash tailbacks at Georgia, and all four of them ended up in the NFL. Um, that's just a ridiculous amount of talent. Uh, I don't care what kind of college program you're talking about to have four running backs of name of note that end up in the NFL that were on the same team, just a ridiculous embarrassment of riches. And I remember when, uh, Gurley left, uh, Georgia, because I think he got hurt or something like that. And then he, he left early and I think he was recovering from an ACL when he got drafted in the top 10. Um, and I remember it's like, oh, you know, they still got uh, a lot of backs there. And somebody told me, it's like, you, you got to just wait for this young kid, DeAndre Swift. Just wait till you see this kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what, three or four years later, here we are, DeAndre Swift, first round pick. Um, it's a never ending. It's a, I mean, it's certain colleges, yeah, certain colleges have uh, just a pedigree with certain positions. And you can go back through the Georgia running backs. This is not a new thing. I mean, Herschel Walker was a Georgia running back. So uh, it, they, 
certain schools will put out talent at certain positions year over year. They recruit well to it. You can look at places like Ohio State right now and their run of cornerbacks, right? Pretty much whoever starts at cornerback for Ohio State is probably going to be a first-round pick, at least one of them. Um, There are many other schools and positional relationships that we could go through, but boy, running backs in Georgia – it, it's another level. It's it's absurd. It's just crazy. Um, speaking of crazy, by the way, I, I know he's on the COVID reserve list right now, but the next time the Titans play, if Jeffrey Simmons is on the field, you guys got to watch him because he is freaky. He's dominating uh, early on in this season, the first few games. I mean, the line of scrimmage was just wherever he said it was. This kid is crazy good, so strong, so long. Um, in week three, I think he had like half of the Titans' pressures. It, it was crazy, just absolutely doing anything he wanted to. Uh, I, he's he's almost like a young DeForest Buckner to me in terms of skill set, just size, length, power. Buckner's a little bit more refined, obviously, because he's been around longer, but Jeffrey Simmons can be another DeForest Buckner, which is terrifying because as a Texans fan, we already have to deal with DeForest Buckner twice a year. And now Jeffrey Simmons is starting to look like the same thing. Yeah. These are the kind of names that we both of us love bringing you, which are guys that, um, you know, we're highly drafted. We're very good in college, uh, but maybe not names that sort of crack the, the top rosters or the, or the flashy defensive highlights because they just don't sort of have that pedigree or there's any number of reasons. Maybe it's the market they play in. But Jeffrey Simmons is one of those guys who is playing at an incredibly high level right now, like top mm, 10 defensive lineman in the NFL right now, if you're watching his tape and, and just sort of not paying attention to the name in the back of the jersey. At least and interior. Yeah, he is just wrecking the opponent's game plan. He is that guy that is, uh, Brett said, resetting the line of scrimmage, dominating, throwing guys out of the way, uh, both making tackles in the run game, getting pressures in the pass game. He looks like, and I'm not saying he's as good as or as consistent as, he looks like an Aaron Donald-type force in there. He is a Tasmanian devil. He is just wrecking stuff. And a lot of people don't know his name, so get to know it. Jeffrey Simmons, he's listed as a DE on the Titans. Unfortunately, he tested positive in the big Titans uh, rush to get COVID. And, you know, so he'll be out. Hopefully, he'll heal very quickly and, and only be out a couple of weeks while he deals with that. But when he gets his wind back, look out. Uh, Simmons, he reminds me of um, Fletcher Cox is a guy that he I reminds that. me a lot of. Yep. he's He plays inside, great size, good power. He's on pace. Uh, you know, obviously, they didn't get to play this week, but if he held his current pressures per game pace, he would be second in the NFL right now behind Aaron Donald. Like that's yeah. When that's I when I compare him to literally the best defensive lineman in the game right now, uh, it's it's not hyperbole. He's not at that level of consistency, but he is making plays that make you sort of sit back and sit up and look in the exact same way. And in terms of Uh, how well known he is like most people don't know who Jeffrey Simmons is unless they're a Titans fan or you know they followed him in college but get to know Jeffrey Simmons if he stays healthy uh, he is a force on the inside for the Titans all right EJ the moment has arrived 
Bum, bum, bum. Let's talk about Bill O'Brien. And uh, I'm going to be doing a video on this I feel like I need a gong or something. (laughs) (laughs) A celebratory gong. Indeed. We're gonna t- I'm going to talk about it in the film room this week, um, but I need people to understand the kind of damage this man has done to my team so you can understand exactly why I'm so excited. This is a guy who, just to give an example, this was back in 2017, Deshaun's rookie year. He's lighting up the league. Dwayne Brown was holding out that year because he had no guaranteed money left on his contract. He's a 32 to, uh, yeah, at the time he was 32 years old, uh, which is still in the middle of his prime for a, a franchise left tackle. Like mostly primes last till about the mid to late thirties for an offensive lineman. So he was smack dab in the middle of his prime, no guaranteed money left. And he wanted some guaranteed money just in case he got hurt so that it was, so that he wouldn't get cut. You know, it's a pretty reasonable request for a professional football player to make of like, hey, give me some job security. Uh, the Texans said no over and over and over again. So he said, okay, I'm going to hold out and, and we'll see how you guys do. Deshaun is lighting the league up while getting hit a lot. And eventually they convince him to come back because the fines are mounting and mounting and mounting. And keep in mind at the time, he was also having some, let's say, disagreements with ownership on the subject of kneeling. Uh, look who was right in the end on that one, by the way. I guess it's it's Dwayne Brown. Um, and so he's getting he's getting into it with ownership over societal issues, I guess you could say. He's getting into it with the front office, which was mostly Bill O'Brien at the time. I know Rick Smith was general manager, but keep in mind, he wasn't really involved that much in 2017 because he was uh, tending to his wife who was battling breast cancer at the time. So it was mostly Bill O'Brien making the decisions there. So he was getting into it with Bill over his contract. He ends up coming back uh, week eight, I think it was, for the Seattle game. Fresh off the couch, hadn't practiced, came in, started, only gave up two pressures in that game just to kind of prove that he could play. The Texans traded him the next day. So they had no plan at left tackle. Their other tackles on the team, it was Kendall Lamb, it was Julian Davenport, and Breno Giacomini, and I think Chris Clark. Like, they had nobody. So Deshaun continues to get killed for the next year and a half because they had no tackles, because they traded away their only one that could play. So Deshaun gets lit up, and then they finally realize after 2018, okay, we have to go get a left tackle. We can't keep doing this. So they give up two first-round picks, and a second round pick in that big old trade that involved Kenny Stills and and Laramie Tunsil. And then because Laramie Tunsil had all the leverage in the world, because again, they gave up two first round picks and a second round pick for him, the Texans had to pay him basically whatever he wanted, which ended up being $22 million a year. Highest deal for an offensive lineman ever that has still not been topped. Again, because he had all the leverage. Now, EJ... Since the day Dwayne Brown was traded, he's had 1,612 pass-blocking snaps. Laramie Tunsil's had 1,695. Ooh. Dwayne Brown has given up 70 pressures in those pass-blocking snaps. Relatively the same number of snaps over the same period of time. Given up 70 pressures. Very, very good numbers. Laramie Tunsil has given up 72 pressures. So they're basically identical pressure rates per snap. Dwayne Brown costs $11.5 million a year. Laramie Tunsil costs $22 million, two first-round picks, and a second-round pick. 
That is why Bill O'Brien is being fired. He's not a great head coach. He's a horrifically, historically bad general manager. Historically bad. They had to... I don't want to say they had to trade DeAndre Hopkins. They felt like they had to trade DeAndre Hopkins because they gave so much money to Tunsil and because they were going to have to pay Deshaun Watson $40 million a year. They felt like they didn't have the money available to uh, add guarantees on the Hopkins contracts because he only had one guaranteed year left, and he also wanted guarantees. They said, no, we can't afford it. They trade him for a freaking second-round pick, which is a pile of garbage in the first place. And then they give up another second round pick for Brandon Cooks, who in the three seasons beforehand, and I'm being generous here just because of sample size, in the three seasons beforehand averaged 62 yards a game. He's averaging 34 yards right now. So you're giving up picks for him. You're getting a second round pick that you use on a defensive uh, tackle because you let DJ Reader walk because you couldn't afford him. You couldn't afford Kareem Jackson. You felt like you, didn't, you couldn't afford Jadavian Clowney. I'm losing my freaking mind as I'm going through all this right now, trying not to rage. <laughs> You know what you sound like right now? A manic Texans fan that's no. been abused for years. <laughs> no, that's what you are. But what you sound like is the guy at the end of the uh, you know, prescription drug ad that has to read all the <laughs> side effects in like five seconds. Oh, God. It's just... In 2018, we had the third-ranked run defense. You know why? Because we had Kareem Jackson, we had Jadavian Clowney, we had DJ Reader. They were the three best run defenders on the team. He let all of them walk because he felt like he didn't have to pay them because he's such a good head coach. Oh, we'll still be fine. I'm a great head coach. I'm a great general manager. I can replace talent. No, you fucking can't, Bill. You're really (laughs) bad at your job. We have the worst run defense in the league this year because you let all of our good run defenders walk. Yeah, He's so awful. The biggest problem is that Bill O'Brien, the general manager, wrote checks that Bill O'Brien, the coach, who is a middle-of-the-road head coach, he's not great, he's not terrible, he's not Adam Gase, couldn't cash, right? He, he, he shorted himself, as you said, the talent that the coach needed, the GM... Bill O'Brien shorted the coach, Bill O'Brien, the talent he needed to win football games. And he was his own worst enemy as a GM because he was historically terrible. Bill O'Brien as a GM reminds me very much of every like elementary school drama ever where a bunch of kids take the new kid aside and they basically free him of his lunch money through like complicated mathematical schemes and then laugh at him as they walk off with all his goodies <laughs> and he gets nothing. Like that's Bill O'Brien, that kid that got duped for his lunch money. That's Bill O'Brien as a GM. I had I had a, a friend text me and he said, damn, we were about to offer a seventh for Deshaun. Oh, I know. So many people. That joke got made in Chicago a lot. Before. It was a friend like in the league, in the league. Yeah. The, you know, even the even other NFL teams were laughing at Bill O'Brien. Everybody was laughing at him. They all knew that joke got made in Chicago before the Foles trade, right? Like, hey, why don't you just toss Bill O'Brien like, uh, let's see, Adam Shaheen and a sixth? That ought to do it, right, for Deshaun? Right? He'll say yes. Why not? You know, everybody was just lambasting his abilities as a, as a GM because he was terrible. He was he was historically awful. Same thing he said. So glad he's gone. He is somebody who is so overconfident in himself that he he has no self awareness for his limitations. Like this is a guy. I don't know if this is ever made public, but it's been years, so whatever. This is a guy who. <laughs> 
<laughs> he he ran Randy Moss out of New England. They got into a fucking fist fight in the locker room. You remember that press conference where Randy Moss you know, basically just called it quits on New England. They traded him to Tennessee. Yep. That was immediately following a fist fight in the locker room with Bill O'Brien. I <sighs> I'm not kidding. I don't think you probably are. I love stories that, that start ran, with, well, it's been years, so it's time. He Those ran one stories. of the greatest football players in the history of the sport out of New England just by being himself. I, I, I cannot believe how much damage he's done to this team. I know Eagles fans say that, oh, Chip Kelly ruined our franchise. You guys don't understand. Like, this is what ruining a franchise looked like. We have no picks. We have no weapons. Yeah, we Bill have no O'Brien money. was like, "Here, you you think ruined? Hold hold my beer. <laughs> I, I'll go. I'll go show you ruined. Uh, like I'm glad he's I'm glad he's gone, but he left us with nothing. He, I understand. He left us with nothing. It's it's going to take years to undo this damage. We wasted Andre Johnson. We wasted Arian Foster. We wasted JJ Watt. We've wasted every player." other than maybe Deshaun Watson, that will end up in the Ring of Honor, we have wasted them. I fully and it was, agree. It was partially Gary Kubiak's fault, but he had more success than Bob did. Like At least at least Kubiak, at least he had like some playoff success. You know, he didn't completely tank the future of the roster. Like, I, I would take Gary Kubiak back in a, like, a heartbeat right now. And that's saying a lot. I was going to say, we probably need to put you in therapy for just that, but we do have other things to talk about, and the bad oh, man God. is gone. I feel like I need <laughs> I feel like I need to make a meme that says, show me where the bad man put your draft picks. <laughs> in Miami. <laughs> You're welcome, Dolphins fans. I hope you enjoy them. But anyway, oh, Dolphins, we didn't we they're not even on our list uh, this week, but we, we need to talk about the Dolphins in a future episode and their future, not necessarily how they're playing right now, but their potential to vault from where they are. If if Tua pans out and and I don't think that there's any reason that he won't, they have two possibly very high first round picks next year. They could they could get good in a hurry. I, I tweeted out this week that if they use those if those picks turn out to be high picks and if they use them well, man, Bill's Dolphins could be a war for years to come. You're welcome, Miami. But with that, uh, we'll, we'll get to some greener pastures. But before I do, I want to thank our sponsor for the week. They've been a very loyal sponsor for us. That's Mac Weldon. They are a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart designs and high-quality fabrics. Mack Weldon offers a one-stop shop for men's basics, including socks, shirts, hoodies, underwear, polos, active shorts, whatever you need in a wide variety of customizable fabrics like air knit, dry knit, and warm knit, Mack Weldon has you covered. They've also created a totally free loyalty program called Weldon Blue, and in level one, you get free shipping for life. And then once you reach level two, just by spending $200 total, Mack Weldon gives you 20% off of every order you make for the next year. From my personal experience, and EJ, I know you can speak to this too, like I just was able to start wearing the Ace hoodie, the, the kind of full zip one, because it's finally starting to cool down here, down in California. And this thing is so comfortable. I, I think it's like a stressed kind of fabric. I don't know the exact blend of it, but it's it's really, really soft, but also breathable. And I've, I really have enjoyed it now that I can actually wear hoodies. Uh, what did you get? I can't quite remember. 
Uh, my favorite piece that I got from them was their air knit boxers. And yeah. if those things are clean, they are the first ones off the top of the pile. They are extremely comfortable, really nice wide waistband. Again, breathable fabric. Uh, I would say form fitting, but not too tight and just slips beneath pants really, really well. Uh, again, if those things are there, I sort of dig down and find them and put them on because they're so comfortable for all day wear. Yeah, most definitely. If you guys want to experience Mack Weldon for yourself, you can get 20% off your first order. Just go to MacWeldon.com slash bootleg, enter promo code bootleg. And again, that is 20% off your first order at MacWeldon.com slash bootleg, promo code bootleg. And with that, EJ, uh, let's move on to the, I guess, happier topics of week four. Bum, 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 week four. And we're going to start off with what I titled the RB Rampage yes, because there yes. were so many players this week that just lit it up from that position. Starting off with Joe Mixon, 151 yards rushing in two Ds, two TDs plus a receiving TD. Alvin Kamara, who we've talked about at length, ended up with 22 total touches between run and pass, 119 yards and a TD. Again, powering the Saints offense. Dalvin Cook looked off the hook. 130 yards, two TDs, uh, great contact balance, good finishing. Kareem Hunt, who we haven't talked about a lot because we've been talking about Nick Chubb. Uh, 71 rushing yards, but two TDs, huge for the Browns. Zeke in Dallas, 20 total touches, 125 yards. All of them just blew the doors off. And I want to give a quick shout-out to Dearness Johnson from the Browns. Again, not a big-time name, but had a really nice performance. 13 rushes, 95 yards. That's a 7.3-yard average. And he looked really good doing it. The Cleveland running game just kind of doesn't matter who's in there right now. Kevin Stefanski's got them dialed up, and the run game is just clicking for them. Top four leaders and seven out of the top 10 in yards from scrimmage. This is league wide for 2020 are running backs. So all, you know, one through four and seven of the top 10, all running backs. So running backs really contributing overall to the sort of offensive explosion that we're seeing all around the league. And what's interesting is a lot of them that had the biggest days other than, I guess, Dearness Johnson, they're all the ones that got paid. Like they're they're actually kind of earning their keep yep. on these contracts, <laughs> you know. Yep. Especially all Kamara. the guys that got big big paper in the off season are showing out, right? And a lot of times you don't see that. You see that in the contract year, then they get paid and maybe they slack off a little bit. Nah, uh, Mixon, Kamara, Cook, all those guys got paid big time. Zeke got paid a couple of years ago, and they are living up to that top billing. So. I know we catch some flack in the comments about saying don't pay them, but at the same time, these guys are putting that money where their mouth is, and they're putting those yards and points uh, on the field and on the scoreboard. Especially Dalvin. I just want to give him a shout-out. I'm pretty sure they dunked him in a vat of Vaseline before that game because he just broke tackles on every single carry. I don't know what his elusiveness rating is for the season, but i got to think it's top three or five because I, I, I don't think anybody got a clean shot on him the entire game like once and even if they had a, a good angle on him he just he's able to stay up he's like a freaking weeble wobble that dude it's unbelievable how balanced he is through contact and which is funny because like coming out of florida state that was not his thing he was more elusive but he wasn't really a, a tackle breaker 
that was more kind of Kamara's bag and weirdly Leonard Fournette's bag, like just breaking tackles. But now Dalvin Cook, four years into it, he's he breaks tackles like a freaking machine, man. He is he's special. Yeah, all these guys I think are at the core like it feels like the teams paid the right guys. We can argue up and down that from a team building strategy, you can get a lot of that production out of a lot less money. But what's really bad is if you miss on that. It's bad if you miss on any position, but if you're going to pay a bunch of money to a high price skill position and they don't produce at that extremely high slash elite level, you really just handcuffed your franchise with an anchor that's that's not helping your salary cap and it's not helping your team on the field offensively. All these guys are really powering their offenses. Mixon is supporting Joe Burrow as a rookie quarterback. Cook is taking pressure off Kirk Cousins so he doesn't have to be a superhero. Kamara is absolutely dragging the Saints along. Drew Brees looked a little bit better this week. We'll talk about that later on, but these guys are just pushing their teams forward, both in the run and pass games. And, you know, they picked the right they picked the right backs to give big money to. These guys are all producing at a high level. You know who had almost no support from his running game this week, but still damn near won the game? Justin Herbert. I want to talk about that Chargers and Bucks game because that yeah, was Yeah, you're not the only one. <laughs> That, that was the best game I think college or pro Justin Herbert's ever played in his life. Like, and it wasn't it wasn't like the Carolina game where the numbers were good, but there was a pick right before halftime, and then two more dropped picks. One of them should have been a pick six by Trey Boston. It was kind of check down city, just dink and dunk and dink and dunk. And there was a few good balls, but there was also a few really bad balls in the Bucks game specifically. I mean, some of the throws he was making were just crazy like the one off his back foot against zero blitz and it's like a 72 yard touchdown to Guyton who I never even heard of before that game you know if you're throwing, he just got elevated off the practice squad just so got that's elevated, not, you know that's that's not surprising at all but if you're if you're throwing touchdowns under pressure to no-name receivers in your third ever start against a really good defense in Tampa Bay like I firmly believe they're a really good defense score notwithstanding um Again, I'm 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 not going to get fully on any train for a quarterback in their first three games, but I will say that if Justin <laughs> Herbert keeps playing like that, then he's he's going to make me look like a freaking idiot because I, I he did not play like that at Oregon, but it's nice to see that as a pro in his first few starts, he is elevating himself beyond what he was in college. Absolutely, and the. You brought up a major difference. Uh, you know, in your film room episode, you talked about how often he threw the check down, he threw the screen, how, what percentage of his throws were screens. And when Herbert goes vertical, Justin Herbert going vertical is amazing. His two perfectly thrown bombs should be warning shots heard around the league. The Chargers can score from anywhere because. There are guys that can throw it in this league. A lot of guys that can throw it. There are not many, and I mean a handful. There are three to five guys in the league that can throw it like that. Pat Mahomes can throw it like that. Josh Allen can throw it like that. Aaron Rodgers can still get it out there like that. 
Russell Wilson is a very great deep ball thrower, but he throws rainbows. They not they do not have the drive behind him that Justin Herbert threw it with. And he, again, throwing off your back foot to a receiver streaking downfield and leading him, right? So often those deep balls are jump balls or the receiver has to kind of stop and try and back shoulder him, make some adjustment. These guys just kept running and reached out and kept running. And it warms my little hard, cold football history heart to see the Chargers going bombs away because it's the best possible real-time homage to Don Coriel and Mm -hmm. the, you know... Air, air Coriel system that he put in in San Diego in late 50s, early 60s, where it was just let it go. And Herbert did some other things besides that, as if that wasn't enough. And it was because his deep ball is rare. We'll just put it that way. He also improvised and threw off platform, which is not yeah. something we saw a ton at Oregon. And those are great signs. Again, for quarterback in his third start, He's showing a lot of blocks to build around, and I'm with you. If he continues to play this way, um, yeah, you're going to have to eat some crow, and I'll cook it for you. That's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm totally fine with eating crow because that just means that he's a good player, and he's that just a, means he's a know, great player. Like, I, I want him to succeed. He's a good kid. Like he's a good person. I want him absolutely. to succeed. I want to be wrong. You know, like I wanted to be wrong about Daniel Jones too, which. I'm, Unfortunately, oh, it God. seems I might have been right about Daniel Jones, but we're going to make a Daniel Jones reference later in the show. I, I didn't want to be right not, about him. I, yeah. I don't want to be right about like I want him to be better than what I thought, because that just means the Chargers are going to be good. And I, I like it when the Chargers are good. They're an entertaining team to watch. I don't want them to get steamrolled by Kansas City for the next 10 years. I want them to be competitive. I want Herbert to be good. I want him to keep playing like this because that was literally the best game he's ever played. And I'm counting the Colorado game when he was at Oregon, too, where he lit them up. This was better than the Colorado game. Some of the throws he was yeah, making. Yeah, and it was against a much better much defense. Much better defense. Like, we're going to talk about Tampa's defense in a second, but holy cow, they're good at every level. And he still pushed yeah. Brady and the Bucks to the brink With in his no third run game. game. Yeah. it I It's terribly impressive performance. So... um couple other things about this game because it was a it was a brilliant game uh brady threw darts all day and he has not done that in tampa bay he's done it intermittently um he was getting on the same page with people brady is a notorious worker film rat uh doesn't make the same mistake twice he's displaying that same trademark mistake erasing form and the o is now supporting the d that we just talked about as being tremendous uh, equally, and the Bucks are getting really dangerous. But Brady threw lasers all day for touchdowns, for long gains down the field to receivers you know and receivers you don't. Uh, Brady looked really, really good um, throughout the game. And the one time he didn't look good, he was on his back. And I have to bring it up because L.A. ran one of my favorite blitzes, uh, End of the first, just a few seconds left in the first quarter. Go up, go look it up on on Game Pass if you have it. L.A. ran a coffee house blitz, which is one of my <laughs> all time favorites. And if you don't know what a coffee house blitz is, the linebacker, the lineman, typically a linebacker cheating up into a gap, basically faints that he's gonna drop back into coverage like a half step, or just stands still. So the lineman, the offensive lineman has to immediately react to whoever's bringing pressure. 
And right as that happens, right as that offensive lineman commits, the linebacker turns and rushes. And the hesitation was about a quarter second, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it was plenty. And ran in and just nailed Brady. Uh, Ended up throwing a duck to nobody, but he got hit really hard in the hips. Um, Always love a good coffeehouse blitz. Danny Trevathan ran one for the Bears uh, last year that was probably one of my top five plays of the year for the Bears. So always got to call out the coffeehouse blitz. And uh, the the claim to fame for the coffeehouse blitz, that was what the Giants ran with, was it Matthias Kiwanuka? I think it was in the Super Bowl, and they just tattooed Brady in that 2007 game. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, I did want to bring up Levante David. He's. Having... I will always talk Levante David. <laughs> always, okay. always, always. <laughs> I know Keekly and Bobby Wagner get all the press from, like, you know, greatest linebackers of the decade. Is it crazy for me to think that Levante David is, like, a very close third because he's not he's even been close. around forever, I, and he's so good. I, I mean, not even crazy. I am a huge Levante David fan, and one of the reasons is because he is great, and I said great, and I mean it, and he is wildly underrepresented. If you say, who are the top interior linebackers in the league? Levante David is that guy that just doesn't get mentioned, um, kind of like Doug Baldwin didn't get mentioned in the wide receiver conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just a a guy that plays at a very high level and and is a great technician and respected by all his peers. Levante David is that guy. And you combine him and Devin Bush, who they spent up, you know, a high pick on. They're one of the best interior linebacker combos in the league. Was it it white or was it Bush? I think it was white. The other Devin. Oh, did I write Bush and it was white? I mixed up it's my not, It's not well, a there's bootleg my... episode without a messed up. I, I was going to say, there's. we can just chalk that up and move on because that's the one we're looking for. My name mistake of the week. We should come up with a branded sponsor for that because we would make a lot of money because it happens every <laughs> week. Um, but anyways, Tampa Bay has playmakers at every level. That defense is for real. Their defensive line is causing great pressure. Shaq Barrett is the headliner there, but he's not the only one. They've got Ndamukong Sue. We talked about the inside linebackers. The secondary is Carlton Davis is playing very, very well for them. We all know about Antoine Winfield Jr. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) They can make plays at every level of that defense. They are for real. I believe uh, going into into week five, they are the leaders in DVOA for defense. Um, so look out, that is a legit team. And if Brady starts to get wired in and it sure looks like he is with all of his targets and he's throwing accurately, which he is, Tampa Bay is going to be a very tough out. That's a painful thing for me to say because they're the bears next opponent, but, uh, they are hitting on all cylinders right now. And I'm happy for Tampa Bay fans. They, you know, this is the best possible result of importing a, uh, you know, late career quarterback. A lot of times that doesn't work out. They sort of sort of wash out after a season or two. Uh, Brady looks like he is ascending um, from the play he's even had over the last couple of years. And look, he's one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest of all time. You know, good good on Tampa Bay. They they look like a team to compete against right now. Yeah, I I will say, unfortunately for your Bears, I feel like this might be a get-right game for their defense after getting lit up by Herbert. Uh, it 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 might be a little bit rough. Not gonna lie. I, I right now I'm not feeling good. 
I'm just because <laughs> if, feeling if good they about that game. struggled like they did last week, go. Yeah, like, we'll talk about the Bears' struggles later on, but Tampa Bay is not struggling. They are clicking. Um, couple other notes. If you don't know who Scotty Miller is, you best find out. He's for real. He's not some sideshow in Tampa Bay in their receiving core. Uh, Scotty Miller had a couple of big receptions, including a beautiful, clean touchdown reception. Uh, again, from on a Brady dart. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Mike Evans was dominant. He's been hurt. They haven't had him in the lineup. Back in the lineup looks absolutely as strong as ever. He's a tremendous <laughs> like wide himself. receiver. Yeah, he looks like himself, <laughs> which is saying dominant, right? He's been that good. Um, speaking of wide receivers on the other side, we just have to give Keenan Allen love because, oh, my God, Keenan Allen's amazing. And if you don't think he's top flight for some unknown reason – uh, check out the sideline grab mid third quarter. Oh, Unreal. the toe tapper! Real. Oh yeah, my god! Where he picks know, well, it. first of all, I don't know how Herbert even fit that ball in there. That might have been his best throw of the day. That was insane, ridiculous throw, and he mosses Carlton Davis, who is a very good corner. We just got done saying Carlton Davis is playing very well, and he is. And Keenan Allen goes up between him and somebody else, mosses Davis, picks the ball off the top, comes down, toe taps on the sideline. It, if you think Keenan Allen is just a route runner or just whatever, look at that. Unreal hands and body control. Keenan Allen has it all. And if you don't appreciate the sort of performance he puts on every week, you, you need to reset your lens for wide receiver talent because Keenan Allen is one of the best doing it, period. And then Keyshawn Vaughn. We got Keyshawn Vaughn, one of my favorite mid-round running backs. Touchdown catch, a couple of nice runs. Uh, you know, he got into the action. It's got to feel great to get your, like, first touchdown from Tom Brady. Like, that's that's just got to be a really <laughs> cool feeling. Yeah, well, it's kind of like uh, who who was the, uh, the the Green Bay Packer that, uh, I think it was Taylor that tweeted out after the Monday game. He's like, oh, I yeah. caught my first yeah, pass, and it was from Aaron Rodgers. It's so cool. You know, they grew up watching these guys, and now they're catching touchdowns from them. It's got to be it's a surreal feeling. Yeah, it's Monday Night Football, right? You know, everybody's watching Monday Night Football. I, this week there were two games. Typically there's only one. So Monday Night Football is very special to players in the NFL because they know all of their peers are watching. And usually their peers are busy playing when they're playing. They might catch a replay, but, you know, most of their peers are sitting home with the game on. They mm-hmm. know it's a big deal. And it just amplifies those moments, those achievements. And it was super fun to see that tweet. That was really cool. Yeah, I do want to talk, uh, kind of pivoting to a new game, I do want to talk about the complete and utter destruction of the Cowboys defense at the hand of the Browns run game. Nick Chubb got hurt, I think at the end of the first quarter, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. They still put up over 300 yards rushing on them. It, It wasn't just the fact that the Browns offensive line is really, really good and Wyatt Teller is playing like the best guard in football and, you know, Jedrick Wills is just absolutely crushing defensive ends uh, when they run that wide zone and just everybody's working together. The tight ends are blocking the fullback. Uh, God, I can't remember the name of the fullback they traded for, but he was blocking his ass off too. You know, the wide receivers are getting involved. It's not just the blocking is good. It's the fact that the Cowboys defense looks completely and utterly disinterested in playing physical football. Uh, I have not seen a defense quit 20 minutes into the game before, but it looked like they did. It, it was like you're paying Jalen Smith how much money? You're paying D-Law how much money? You know, it, it's it was pathetic. Like, I'll use the word. It was pathetic. 
You're not the only one. It's been called out all over, you know, X's nose, Twitter, analysts, uh, morning shows, you name it. The Dallas defense is getting rightly drubbed for a performance that was pretty dreadful. Uh, I've, I've seen everybody from Daniel Jeremiah to Dane Brugler to you name it, call out that, look, there are certain things that are scheme-based and there are certain things that are not. And what's troubling the defense in Dallas right now is not primarily scheme-based. It is effort-based. It is want-to-based. It is hustle-based. And those things are not scheme-related. And they got... This should be embarrassed. Because Dak was on the money and in control all night long. One of his most dominant games that I can remember in recent memory. And that's saying something because he's had a lot of good games. But he had the right reads at the right time. He was just gunning the ball with accuracy. We could bring up a couple throws in particular. But overall, 41 of 58, 502 yards, four touchdowns, one pick right at the end of the game. Denzel Ward because they needed to throw it. He put up 38 points, 38 points, which as a Bears fan is a mystical dream castle in the sky, 38 points. What are you talking about, 38 points? We had three points going into the third quarter. 38 points, and he lost because his defense just abandoned him. And they should be embarrassed that they wasted that performance from Dak because he was dialed in he was absolutely slinging it i think when you look at how well Dak has been playing in the first few weeks and he's he's honestly played well almost every single game the the rams game was kind of hit or miss but he's he's been locked in at at minimum the last three weeks and, and just the rest of his team has completely let him down and and there's all this talk about okay well should they pay Dak? blah 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 at this point, why should Dak even want to stay? Like, I he's going to put up numbers there because they have receivers, but with McCarthy as the coach and that defense, like, they're not going to win games. And at his core, I know that Dak is an extraordinarily competitive person. Why should he want to stay there? Because it's been year after year of this, of, of paying the wrong people, of bringing in coaches that hire for nepotism you know refusal to make the changes that are necessary like the only reason the reason why Mike Nolan is the defensive coordinator right now of arguably the worst defense in the league or at least on pace to be one of the worst defenses of all time the reason why Mike Nolan is there is because uh, Mike Nolan gave Mike McCarthy his first coordinator job. And so he was repaying him back with nepotism. This was not a meritocracy decision. This was, I'm going to look out for my buddy. I got a job back with the league. I'm going to let, I'm going to, you know, hire him because he hired me. And he's not, he was not the best defensive coordinator that was available. Wade Phillips was, or at least some of the other defensive, uh, up and coming defensive coaches, I think also deserved a shot. And so this is, a situation where Dak has to look back and be like, okay, this is a franchise that is hiring the wrong coaches, that is paying the wrong people, and they're drafting me weapons. I'm putting up numbers, but I'm not winning games. And this is a franchise that has continuously gotten in its own way, whether it was in the Tony Romo era, 
where they refused to, to build him an offensive line until he was battered and broken. Um, you know, whether it was early on in the Dak era, whether it's now in the Dak, like they waited way too long to fire Jason Garrett. Like this is a this is a franchise, a once proud franchise that has not had any success in multiple decades because the leadership at the top makes terrible decisions. Why should Dak want to stay there? He can get he can go get 40 plus million anywhere he wants to right now. You know, Jacksonville, as much as they like Gardner Minshew, I guarantee you they would pay Dak 40 million a year. Why should he want to stay in Dallas? You know, I don't think he should want to stay in Dallas. I think Dallas is continually one of the more overhyped teams in the league. The, every year is their year. Every year they've assembled the talent. Every year they're going to threaten. They are in the worst division in football, and they're struggling. A team yes. with that much talent should not be struggling in the worst division in football. Can you imagine what Russell Wilson and the Seahawks would be doing if they existed in the NFC East? They'd never lose another game. They'd they'd be looking around like, so we're going to pick up, let's see, that six free wins a year. <laughs> and, you know, Dak and the Cowboys, not that way. So I wouldn't want to stay if I was Dak either. Look, yeah, he has a ton of targets. Their wide receiver core is endlessly deep. Zeke is a very good running back. Um, their offensive line, if if healthy, is is solid, at least better than a lot of other places in the league. But... Um, yeah, I'm fine with Dak going to Chicago. That'd be great. So actually, um, yeah, Jacksonville was was a was a terrible example. Chicago, Dak. Oh would my God! Eat and in somebody Chicago. that could put somebody that could put up 25 points a game. Imagine you put anybody, and I think that's a low estimate, especially the way Dak's been playing. Uh, like you said, for the last three weeks, and and really for the first quarter of the season here, he's been playing very very good football. Imagine you put somebody that could throw up 25 points on a weekly basis with Chicago's defense. Like Chicago walks away with that division, even though Green Bay is throwing up 40 a week. I, you know, I think overall that would be at least an incredibly competitive matchup, if not a walk to the division title, because Chicago's defense is really, really good and they get hung up exactly in the opposite way that Dallas just got hung up, right? Dallas's offense rings up 38 points and they lose cuz the defense sucks. Chicago's defense holds people, you know, typically under 22 under 20 points and the offense puts up 3 or 8 or 11 or 15 and they lose. So, yeah, a spark like that at quarterback at the game's most important position would be Amazing for many teams, not just the Bears. You you know who, and I know we're getting off on a tangent here, but I'm I'm genuinely asking from a perspective of here of like if I was Dak, would I want to be here? Um, you know who else has a lot of money next year? They have 76 million in cap space. They have a good offensive line and a dominant defense, best defense in the league right now. Indianapolis, and they have a quarterback mm-hmm. who may or may not retire after this year. Or at the very least, maybe only has one year left. But I would, yeah, I would push out Philip Rivers for Dak Prescott all day every. Dak year. is like the millionaire version of Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> yeah, he's a rich, he's not, rich, rich man's version. Yeah, he's, he's not the poor man. You always hear the he's the poor man's blank or the destitute man's blank. No, Dak's the opposite of that. He is the millionaire, billionaire version of Jacoby Brissett. Right? He would take that offense. Uh, 
you know, again, you get a healthy Michael Pittman, you get uh, their running back talent, which is ridiculous. Just saw that last week. They've got a good offensive line. Their defense is playing at an extremely high and underrated level right now. Yeah, Dak turns them into an instant conference contender, not just division contender. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, every time I watch the Cowboys, it's a disaster. And it's not Dak's fault. It's just, it's a disaster of a franchise, which considering all the talent they have, I don't know. I just, I, like Cleveland is a very well-built roster that was horrifically coached and horrifically managed. And all of a sudden they bring in a good coach, you know, they have actual sensible, coherent game plans. And all of a sudden that that, that talent is playing well um, and they're boat racing a similarly talented team. And I think until there is more competent coaching in Dallas, I think until there's more competent management in Dallas, I think until they start paying the right people, like it is a hamster on a wheel. And Dak has a choice now because he's going to be a free agent. He has a choice. Do I want to stay on that wheel and hope? Or do I want to go somewhere else that also has money, that is willing to pay me, that is more competent at the top? It is It is a legitimate question that I think we need to start talking about yeah so a couple other notes from that game uh miles garrett have to mention him with the top edge rushers in the league he's had a dominant first quarter strip sacks he's sort of taken over the khalil max strip sack title he's getting one seems like every week um baker mayfield who we haven't talked about a lot because he hasn't been all that great was solid this week and that's all he has to be with all that talent that the browns have assembled around him if he is just solid and distributes the ball that's going to be plenty again with that very potent running game and the return of odell beckham odell has been Mm -hmm. sort of up and down and roller coastery and pretty quiet for the most part he was a major force in this game he had more rushing yards than passing than receiving yards that kind of seems nuts to me uh but he was dynamic whenever he touched the ball and it made a big big difference in this game And there's a play we need to talk about because I was trying to rack my memory banks and see if I had ever seen this play again, and I don't believe that I have. I believe this is the first time, and that's something. Um, A blocked extra point leads to a mad scramble. The kicking team recovers in the end zone because of the way the ball bounced, and they get a successful two-point conversion out of it. Which, by the way, as the rule is written... They can only advance the ball and score if they recover it in the end zone, which they did. If they recovered it outside the end zone and then tried to run it in, it wouldn't count. Yeah. So as the rule is written, like it is a, you're never going to see that again. It's it's funny how the Cowboys every time they play a game, something that you'll never see again happens. Like they're that kind <laughs> yeah. of team. Oh, that's such a great point. But I I just sort of replayed that play about three times watching the game. I was like, what? Wait, wait, what? No, did they? They did. <laughs> it was so it's, odd. It's that so we got team. one more game we want to talk about, which is New England and Kansas City. Uh, this is New England uh, was the big storyline heading into the weekend. Um, Cam ends up getting COVID. That is a huge swing in this game. We've talked about it since the offseason, that the potential for COVID to swing this season, both statistically and in terms of division races and balance and by weeks and uh you know who got to play who with who and at full strength was going to be a big deal 
couldn't have been a bigger example of that than this starting quarterback on a team heading in to play a team that is uh, a power in the conference and playing at a very high level and suddenly they're robbed of i would say arguably their greatest offensive weapon that's a huge swing and it was the big storyline but that meant that brian hoyer ended up starting for new england and my best comparison for hoyer at this stage of his career is a nightmare version of Daniel Jones in terms of pocket awareness. Oof. And that's saying something, because Daniel Jones doesn't even know where a rush is around him 80% of it the time. Really it really is. Like, it seems like Hoyer actively runs into the rush out of spite. Or just waits, like, an inordinately long time. Like, there were times he stood in the pocket for, like, five, six seconds. And at that point, the bells have to be going off in your head so loudly that you just sprint because they're going to they're gonna make you crazy. He would literally just stand there until somebody, like, brushed his jersey. And then he'd be like, oh, oh, <laughs> there are other people here. And go down hard. It was really tough to watch. So the the combination of Hoyer and then he was replaced by Jared Stidham. Look, Stidham was a bill of goods, folks. He wasn't good. Bill Belichick was bluffing hard all offseason saying, no, no, we're ready to ride with Jared Stidham. Jared Stidham is our guy. We're going to win games with Jared Stidham. Having seen Jared Stidham and the way he hands off with Panache, no, he's not the answer <laughs> And Bill Belichick got lucky that Cam was available, that he could pay him a pittance and smile all the way to the bank. And that only got exposed because Cam ended up getting COVID. Neither of those guys, Hoyer or Stidham, is the answer uh, for anything at quarterback for New England. Um, And that was really, I think, quite frankly, the difference in the game. You texted me during this game saying, I I think they actually win this game with Cam, or at least they'd be right there in the end, and it would be sort of a coin toss to see who ends up with the victory, and I, I don't think you're wrong. I think, speaking of quarterbacks who just made $40 million, uh, pretty sure Cam just made $40 million last night because there is zero chance they let him walk this offseason. They have to sign him because they have nobody else. Hoyer is horrible. Stidham is not good. They have no franchise without Cam Newton. They, they flat out don't. And it says a lot that I, I don't think that they would have just kept this game close with Cam. I think they would have won this game with Cam because the turnovers were the difference. The picks, especially the pick six, which I know bounced off Edelman's hands. That one wasn't necessarily Stidham's fault, but I still think that even with that pick six, it wouldn't have been an issue if they had Cam Newton in there because the offense would have been different. Uh, The game script would have been different. Situationally, everything would have been different. This team is a way better football team with Cam Newton on the field because he's accurate in the quick game. He knows what he's doing at the line of scrimmage. He has great pocket presence. His arm is not what it used to be, but it's still pretty good. Like, it's it's enough. It's Um, enough. Like, it's enough. Like, he's, he's a great quarterback in all the little ways that Tom Brady was a great quarterback in I will never understand why people do not give Cam the credit he deserves between the years because he's really, really, really good. And this team would be, somebody mentioned that they, they might be a 4-12 and team if they didn't get lucky and sign Cam. And I kind of agree. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, with their offensive talent, if you look at their offensive talent besides Cam, it's not good. 
Like there are very few playmakers uh, on that roster who you would say, oh yeah, we, we need that, right? You know, <laughs> let's go get that. That's better than what we have. Um, Rex Burkhead had a really nice game last week and he had another decent one this week. But again, he's, he's not a headliner. And again, without Cam and that decision-making, even if you just erased all the negative yards that Hoyer and Stidham took in sacks, because not saying Cam wouldn't get sacked, he probably would once or twice, but not like that, and not for those kind of yards with just a completely deadwood complexion. And, and a, I'll tell you what, you know, he would at least know that he had no timeouts at the end of the half and not, not take a horrific sack that cost them points. He would at least have uh, the awareness to know how many timeouts yeah. he has. That was... <laughs> that was horrible elsewhere in this game Rashad Fenton had a really strong game at corner for KC made a couple of big plays uh not a name again that most people are familiar with uh he did get uh did get burned a couple of times but um just another guy that uh Kansas City secondary right Daniel Sorensen is the the sort of poster child for this not name players that make big time plays and Rashad Fenton was the guy this week and then the other one that I wanted to call out that Casey scored on a couple of these, but I actually saw it in multiple games. I saw at least four examples of this play. The en vogue run play this week was the misdirection sweep from shotgun with the runner crossing in between the QB and the center. Casey scored on two of them. Oh, yeah, the little tat pass. Uh, and there were similar versions all over the place. Washington ran a sort of misdirection that Gibson scored on, but they ran, again, the wide receiver right in front. And Haskins had a nice little sleight of hand sort of fake to that guy and then pivoted and gave it to Gibson. This play was all over the place if you watch the highlights this week. Um, and I just see that happening more. And it just makes me pine for, you know, where where was that kind of creativity in Chicago's game plan? We haven't seen anything that worked like that. It's almost replaced the screenplay as the sort of, hey, uh, I don't want to don't want to put the ball in harm's way. I do want to do something creative and short that, again, gets out laterally. Um, but just saw that play all over, so I wanted to call it out this week. Yeah, I talked to a coach about that play last year um, when I was working on a Matt LaFleur video because uh, Casey ran it on them as well, and then he also ran it on them. And um, mm-hmm. I kind of brought it up when I was doing uh, a Kyle Shanahan breakdown heading into the Super Bowl because Shanahan does that kind of stuff a lot too. And it's like a tap pass sweep, and I asked the coach about it, and he said it's basically crack toss, just faster. Like it is a right. quicker way to get into crack toss because the ball carrier is already moving. Or, or some guys use it as a quicker way to basically get into an outside zone run just with the ball carrier moving faster so they can press the edge quicker. The timing of the play is a little bit different. And because the timing is quicker on essentially crack toss, the angles are more favorable for the offense. And it's not necessarily a play that's going to break one, but you can almost guarantee you'll get four to five yards out of it. And if you're on the three-yard line, that's it kind of makes it a no-brainer. That's a touchdown. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting little variation of crack toss, even though it's a tap pass sweep and it technically counts as a pass, but it's not really a pass. And uh, yeah, no, definitely in vogue in the league the last couple of years, but especially this year, just because I think teams have kind of figured out like, hey, this the success rate on this play is pretty damn high. <laughs> Yeah, and you're seeing a lot of misdirection, a lot of window dressing going the other way, seeing how many defenders we can hook to get moving to their left before we do our little tap pass and it goes the other way. 
uh, even the quarterback starting to turn his head that way and then tap passing to the guy going the opposite way, although the basically the entire offense is flowing right. They'll tap pass to the left so that they can clear out as many defenders as they can. It's just a really interesting little play, and lots of teams are running a variation of it right now. Yeah. What do you say we get in the blitz and wrap this show up? Uh, a little bit of shorter blitz this week, but it's, it's definitely meaty. And uh, first thing I want to talk about is George Kittle is back. 15 catches, 183 yards, touchdown, dominant performance. I mean, truly dominant, like vintage Kittle. He's topped 100 receiving yards for the ninth time in his career. And it's only in his 47th game, by the way. So, you know, once every not 10 games or so, like he's or at four or five games or so, he's, he's getting 100 yards, which is insane for a tight end. So he's tied for the third most 100-yard games by a tight end in their first 50 career games since 1970. This is a Hall of Fame track for this guy. Like, he's he's ridiculous. Now, EJ, you put this in the notes, and I, I'm curious to see where you think Kittle's going to end up by the end of his career relative to these guys. The only players that have more 100-yard games in their first 50 games are Kellen Moore and Rob Gronkowski. Kellen, or it's not Kellen Moore, Kellen Winslow and Rob Gronkowski. Kellen Winslow is 14. Ah, you did it Gronk for once. 12. I know, I did it for once. <laughs> I'm sorry. I do it every Jud- week, so it just feels good to catch somebody else doing it. Judging by his career arc, where do you think Kittle's going to end up when we look at Winslow and Gronkowski? Because I, I truly believe he's kind of on that trajectory. I absolutely believe that everybody right now should sort of sit back, and it's always interesting to me, and you never know what's going to happen. There, there are a lot of variables, but again, if it continues... If he stays in a favorable position with a coach that understands his strengths, which is where he clearly is right now, maybe the best situation in the league. There are a few others that would be good as well. But if he stays in a favorable situation, you are seeing a budding Hall of Fame career. That is exactly what you are witnessing. The level of dominance he displayed is not atypical. That is not an outlier game for him. And I fully believe that there are those players that you see them. Um, you know, Khalil Mack feels very much the same way. Not racking up a ton of sacks, but if you look at his dominance week in and week out, even with sort of all the uncalled offensive holding that's occurring in the league, Khalil Mack is one of those players where you can look at him and say, yep, and George Kittle is the same way. He is playing at a level. Somebody said, you know, the difference between him and Zach Ertz, the idea that Zach Ertz would be compared on the same tier or plane as Kittle is patently ridiculous. Zach Ertz is a good tight end, and George Kittle is a great tight end. And I think that's uh, absolutely true. There's only two tight ends in recent memory that I think are in his category, and it's Prime Gronk and Kelsey, and that's it. Yeah, the the guys that have just dominated the landscape for the last four or five years at tight end. Um, the other one that just caught me when I was sort of combing through his stat line, he was targeting 15 times in this game, which is a lot, and he caught all 15. That's unheard of. You do not see guys with a 100% catch rate for targets. Now, he did drop a two-point attempt, but it hasn't shown up in the stats, so I'm not exactly sure how that pencils. Uh, but in terms of uh, plays out on the field, 15 targets, 15 catches. That's staggering. And what he did after those catches in terms of fighting and not going down, he is a very tough out on the field. He just competes 
at a crazy high level. Great fun player to watch. Huge George Kittle fan. And he had a week to remember. Uh, I get the, the not fun highlight. COVID is back. Wear your masks, folks. Let's see if we can't kick the crap out of this. I'm tired of it all. Um, the Titans had the biggest mm-hmm. problem. We talked about Cam getting it, but the Titans had the most players. I think it was 15 total players and staff. Uh, 18 now. 18, so the number keeps going up. Jeffrey Simmons, we talked about earlier, is one of them. Um, look, these are serious health implications for athletes or not. Uh, it's it's caused a major hiccup in our society, which I'm sure you've noticed. Um, let's see if we can't get on top of COVID, but this is going to continue to be a storyline and, and to think it's not going to be a storyline for the rest of the season. The NFL has beefed up protocols this week. They sent out new memos to teams about cleaning and distancing, limiting the number of free agent visits, um, wait periods for those visits. And look for the league to absolutely light into John Gruden for flaunting the mask protocols. Last week, it was Pete Carroll and uh, somebody else that I can't remember. They ended up finding a massive amount of money. Look for them to kind of double down and really, you know, put Gruden on the post and and really get into him because they realize that this is a possible major roadblock to the league making money. And that's when the NFL will get busy and act. And Gruden has been pretty terrible about um, flaunting the mask protocols on the sideline. And some Raiders players showed up at a at a social event without masks, and that got publicized. So they're going to crack down on this because we had the first flare-up. We knew there was going to be a, a surge or a resurge this fall. It's here. It's starting to really affect the schedule. We're looking at the possible lengthening of the NFL schedule. There's lots of variety. It's definitely going to impact the standings. We just talked about the KC and New England game. Um, Yeah, COVID is sort of a storyline, and it's back. Do your part. See what we can do to reduce this. And uh, on to to happier things. One of our favorite rookies got his first victory. Yeah, Joe Burrow got off the schneid, uh, finally got his first win as a pro, which if you've watched him play at all this season, you knew it was going to happen eventually because he was having a hell of a year so far. Um, he and Justin Herbert both, I, I think, are playing, even though we both love Joe Burrow, both of them are playing better than I think we expected considering the situations around them. Uh, and he, he beat a pretty solid Jacksonville team. I know Jacksonville's had a rough couple weeks, but um, when you look at Jacksonville the first couple weeks, like they, they were they're a pretty competitive ball club. Um, you know they just put up 25 points. So I, I think it was a pretty good game for him. He is pretty good game for him. He's doing it with an offensive line that's featuring Bobby Hart, which makes it automatically one of the worst in the league, in my opinion, because Bobby Hart will forever be one of my most hated football players of all time. I cannot believe that dude continues to get work. But, you know, Joe Mixon, I think, uh, helped him out a little bit. He, he kind of also got off the schneid a little bit. But um, there was an interesting question that you and I kind of talked about, since I mentioned Herbert and they're both playing well. If you swapped Burrow and Herbert, how many wins would Burrow have right now, and how many wins would uh, Herbert have on Cincy? Because I think they have very different skill sets, and they're, but they're both kind of getting it done in different ways. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's it's just one of those fun questions we tossed out there. They're forever going to be linked as two of the top quarterbacks in the same draft. Right now, it looks like they're both on great starts. Burrow is playing very well uh, with a not great 
offensive supporting cast, mainly his offensive line. Obviously, Joe Mixon's really good, and he's starting to develop a really fun connection with T. Higgins. He knows that his connection to T. Higgins is the future, um, and that's starting to click, started to click a little bit more even this week. But I think Burrow would probably be 3-1 and one as a starter on the Chargers because their roster's a little bit better, uh, their scheme's a little bit better. He'd be, be protected and have even more time to throw and although he has nowhere near the arm that justin herbert has he's got a great sense of timing anticipation toughness movement in the pocket all the things you want to see from a quarterback that make a difference and putting him in a better situation look landing spots matter folks and they both landed in okay spots i think the bengals can improve but we've been harping on this for the first three weeks and we will continue to do so they need to protect joe burrow in a hurry they need to get some offensive line talent in them and give give him a little bit more time a couple more weapons would be nice as well but his weapons are okay uh i think herbert has better weapons in los angeles and the chargers um are a better situation so if you put herbert there i think he wins gets his first win more quickly and it's very possible at the quarter pole that he's he's won you know three quarters of his games so going from good to bad we really need to talk about how bad historically adam gase truly is and if you told me that bill o'brien was going to get fired before adam gase i would have laughed because adam gase has been (laughs) begging to be fired with the jets he looks terrible um but that's not the case bill o'brien got the axe first and sort of by association to adam gase dowel logins and this is the thing that kills me about the watson mahomes trubisky draft classes everybody says if either one of those guys went to chicago they'd be better in chicago be winning the super bowl and the bottom line is gase was gone but dowel logins remained and john fox was the head coach and if you think that either deshaun watson or Patrick Mahomes would be anywhere near the players they are now with Dowell freaking Loggins, who ruined Ryan <laughs> Tannehill in the Dolphins and is currently ruining Sam Darnold in the Jets, would have sort of propelled them to any kind of offensive heights. I got news for you and a bridge to sell you. That's These guys are really ugly, and you just have to look at the players that have thrived after suffering under Gase's watch when he's left, and that includes guys like Tannehill. Kenyon Drake, Devontae Parker, who was written off for dead, and now, oh man, they gave him a contract extension, and he's making plays for Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's crazy. And I would say Robbie Anderson's in that list, too. He's gone on to Carolina. He's looking uh, rejuvenated, to say the least. Although he was, uh, you know, a highlight for the Jets, that's not saying a lot. They're pretty low on offensive talent. He looks even better, again, getting into a system um, that is not Adam Gase's. And I feel like Guys like Darnold, Becton, and even Jameson Crowder are all possible additions to that list. They're playing under Gase now. Gase is eventually going to leave, hopefully sooner than later. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if those guys either stay in New York and ascend or go to other teams and suddenly, hey, wow, this is a really good football player. He's having a quote-unquote mid-career surge. No, he just got away from Adam Gase. Adam Gase is like the guy that (laughs) everything he touches turns to crap. Yeah. I I sympathize for Jets fans, but I can tell you this. When he does get fired, and he will, you are going to feel the same cathartic relief that I do right now. And it feels so damn good because you know he's terrible. You've known he's terrible for years now. A lot of you probably knew he was terrible before he even got hired. And and a lot of you were probably dumbstruck that he got hired in the first place because you saw how terrible he was in Miami. 
I'm telling you right now, just be patient. He will get fired. I, I know he's going to get fired. He's too terrible to not get fired. And it's going to feel good. We don't want to celebrate people losing their jobs, but Adam Gase has actively ruined careers and caused other people to lose their jobs by association with him. So I'm okay with kind of treating him like a sacrificial lamb here. He needs to go so that Sam Darnold can have a career, so that Makai Becton can have a career, so that all these young Jets players we really like that they can have successful careers because if he is their head coach, they will not. Like that, It's, it's a matter of fact. We've seen how many players he has ruined until he was gone and I don't want that to happen to some of this young Jets talent like Mikai Becton is too good to have to play any more games under Adam Gase yeah and have his health risked we saw that both him and Darnold uh you know and then they said the same thing about Darnold that they said about Becton oh we'll only bring him in an emergency well they said that with Becton and it lasted all of it all <laughs> it lasted all of three plays it's ridiculous so you can't gamble especially with cornerstone players like that, your potential long-term franchise left tackle. Becton's looked really good in his first three weeks when he's healthy. He's hurt and you risk him in a nothing game when you know he's hurt. Like that's just, that's an irresponsibility at a higher level that deserves a firing. So I'm with you. We don't want to, we don't want to be the guys chanting for somebody's professional funeral, but at the same time, if you earn it, you're going to get it handed to you after a while. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, earning it, these Panthers are earning respect. This young defense, I know they replaced a lot of guys. They drafted a lot of defensive players. In fact, spent all of their picks on defense. Um, but some of their young defenders, in particular along the defensive line, are stepping up. This front four is nasty. Derek Brown is dominating every center he goes against. They're both of their edge uh, edge rushers, Brian Burns and Yitor Grossmatos, who at least Grossmatos in particular is in a rotational role. Both of them, if you subscribe to, you know, pro football focus grades, which not everybody does, but it kind of gives you a, a good idea of, of where they're at. It's more of like a in the right neighborhood than in the right house, but I would agree with it just based on my cursory watching. Both Yeter Grosmatos and Brian Burns are in the top five in the entire league in pass rush grades, only behind TJ Watt, Khalil Mack, and Miles Garrett among edge rushers. Both of them. They're first and second year players on the same defensive line. One of them's not even playing full-time snaps, and they're both top five pass rushers. And when you combine that with Derek Brown, when you combine that to with Jeremy Chin, who is flying all over the football field like we talked about last week, um, you know, Dante Jackson's making plays. Trey Boston's a good, uh, you know, free safety. Like, this is a defense that's really starting to come together a lot faster than I thought they would. And on offense, with Teddy Bridgewater, who does just enough, you know, to keep the offense moving and kind of be efficient, even without Christian McCaffrey, like, all of a sudden, this Panthers team looks not like they're in the middle of a rebuild, but like they're almost on the upswing uh, after a rebuild. Like, it's... It's taking a lot quicker than than probably what I expected. Yeah, there's always these teams in the sort of mid-pack talent-wise, and the first month starts to let you sort them out, and then you get into October, and October really sort of starts to tell you where people are. The Panthers have a feel of a team that was figuring it out over the first month, and they're really starting to gel, like you said, a little bit quicker than we thought they might in Matt Rule's first season, and 
they have the sort of scent of that team on a rise that is not necessarily going to challenge for the playoffs this year, but is going to give a lot of teams a really hard week and pick up some wins that you probably thought if you were looking at the schedule at the beginning of the year that they might not get. They are just starting to play at that level and hit on all the right cylinders and play together so that all that talent sort of comes to the fore. And this was the first week that I really looked at them and thought, uh, they look like one of those teams on the rise, uh, not one of those teams that's kind of figuring it out. So going to be a great storyline to watch. One of those teams that looked that way in the middle of last year was the Bills. And this year the Bills look like a threshing machine. They've put up 27, <laughs> 28, 35, and 30, pound, 30 points uh, in route to a 4-0 record. Their defense is playing very well, and that's been enough. Uh, they haven't been putting up the 40 that the Packers have, but they haven't needed it. Um, two of the games have been close, um, but teams that do well in the postseason have usually had a few of those learned-how-to-win games with, that are competitive and close late, um, like last week for the Bills. Uh, that game, Josh Allen, the really, Rams, we talked about yeah. it last week, said, you know, put the ball in my hands. I'm going to win it late. You know, I will do this. And the Bills look, uh, they've always looked well constructed, but the, those results are starting to, to fit together. And Stephon Diggs has been sort of a key piece in giving Josh Allen just what he needed. They're getting contributions from rookies like Gabe Davis. Devin Singletary continues to break tackles at a league-leading rate. Like, this is a team that is looking like it's going to challenge, you know, well into the postseason right now. The Bills are are very, very solid. One of the, the mantras to team building that I've subscribed to is coaching will help you win games and having talent will help you not lose them. <laughs> For a long time, the Bills had coaching, so they would win games, but they didn't have the talent, so they would lose them. And I think now we're finally starting to see the confluence of they have great coaching and they have great talent, and the great coaching is combining with the great talent to make them, honestly, one of the three best teams in, in the AFC. It's probably them, Kansas City, and what, Baltimore? Maybe yeah. New England if Cam is healthy, obviously, but that's a it's an if. We don't know how long he's going to be out with COVID. Um but like this is a legitimately great team. They've made some great signings to amplify their talent. I want to give a big shout out to Quentin Jefferson, uh, Q oh, Jeff, yeah. as as you know, he's big game this woo, week. He is. We 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 called it out in the free agency special. We're we like, did. There were many no Seahawks way fans. He I know be that cheap. <laughs> yeah, many Seahawks fans I know that were Seahawks fans in the know, smart football fans that understand that don't just watch the ball, that focus on line play, and they knew what Quentin Jefferson meant to the Seahawks and how many plays he made and how many plays he kept from happening against the Seahawks. So when he got signed, they were all sort of like, oh, we were hoping nobody would notice. And we did. We called it out in our preseason um, podcasts, and he had that game last week, man. He was a difference maker in the middle for them. So, uh, yeah, great, well-constructed team. Um, Brandon Bean's done a great job. The coaching staff has done a tremendous job. Josh Allen has done a tremendous job improving, like self-scouting and improving on those things. He's made it what I would call an improbable leap in his third year in that he has continued to ascend and, and possibly ascended at a greater rate uh, than even in his first two years. So he, he doesn't really even resemble the player that came out of Wyoming anymore. The physical talent's the same, but the decision-making, the pace, uh, the understanding of what he's seeing are all 
so much. They're they're at like the top of the chart you could have projected. Like if everything happens just right, he'll be here. He he's right there. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Speaking of things not resembling, by the way, the Saints' offense. In week four, looked nothing like the Saints offense in week three. They actually pushed the ball down the field. You know, Breeze's arm is not there, but just having the willingness to throw the ball and push the ball down the field and, you know, get Emmanuel Sanders involved, get Traquan Smith involved. Yes, he does exist, apparently. You know, Alvin Kamara was no longer the sole uh, focus of this offense. It wasn't just we're throwing screens and swing passes all day. It's we're actually throwing it past 10 yards. And what do you know? They put up 35 points. I know. Shocker. And for the first time in a while, I felt like the Saints offense was actually balanced. And it looked nothing like it did in the first three weeks. And I consider that a good thing. Yeah, Breeze's arm looked better, period. I don't know if he was fighting something, if he had a tweak in his you know, his shoulder or his core or something in the first week. But the first week, boy, he came out and it looked like his December arm. It looked really, really soft, really slow, really bad. Um, his arm looked, um, not great this week by any stretch, but it looked much better than week one. And he's still got enough pop, like you said, to threaten past 10 yards, because again, he's got that pre-snap intelligence. That's right up there with like a late career Peyton Manning and his field reading. That's plenty. If he can, if he can get it just past 10 yards, it is taking a little bit longer than it has in the past to get there. But this week it got there on time and yeah, completely shifted the balance and, all of a sudden, I think Sean Payton can kind of call his offense like he wants to, or at least a little bit closer to that. And the Saints look like a much different team when that's happening. Speaking of things that don't click on offense, I, we're not going to dwell on this because it just makes me sad. And you're so happy, and I don't want to bring you down by association. But the Chicago Bears are allergic to offense. There is just no other way to put that Um quarterbacks which a lot of people had uh, very high hopes including myself or not very high hopes but higher hopes and honestly if you had wrapped both quarterbacks in generic clothing that just said quarterback and had no number on there you wouldn't have noticed the difference this was the exact same game that Mitch has been putting up for some time except it was Nick Foles right there's one drive that he put together and looked really good they ended up getting a field goal out of it that was the three points that they carried until late in the game when they got a late quarter touchdown and again fourth quarter down by a bunch of points okay let's go fast spread it out throw the ball around oh we should throw down the field down robinson and oh he makes an amazing catch inside the pylon where was that in the first three and a half quarters when it matters Mm -hmm. and the bears uh running game which has been extremely strong for the first three weeks of the year Uh, suddenly matt Nagy decided that the best thing to do was run no pre-snap motion no motion at the snap and run into the middle of the Indianapolis defensive line? No outside where counters. Where DeForest Buckner is? Right, where the billion-dollar <laughs> man is. It just looked um, uh, very uncharacteristically uncreative. Uh, he kept doing the same things. He threw screens that the Indianapolis defenders were calling out pre-snap. You could see them pointing, yelling, screen, screen, screen. They would just go snuff it out immediately. But yet he ran three or four of those. Um, It was just a very, very confusing and disheartening game that was not very easy to watch on offense. And until the Bears get their offensive woes squared away, nothing is going to happen for them. Their defense is playing tremendous. All credit to Chuck Pagano. Um, They are coming on all levels. They have talent. They actually held the middle of the line much better than they have against the what i 
I feared was Indianapolis with their great offensive line and their nice trio of running backs was going to gash them up the middle. Bears did a decent job holding on to that. But if you're scoring three points for the majority of the game when it matters, you will win zero games in the modern NFL. If you score 10 points, you're not going to make very many wins in the NFL. And during the post, I did the post game wrap up with Robert Schmitz this week. And I said, look, if you hold a team under 20 points or right at 20 points or less, I think you should win three out of five games. Turns out the numbers bear out. You should win four out of five games. You should be winning at an 80% clip in the modern NFL. If you hold your opponent under 20 points, the bears regularly hold their opponent under 20 points and they still don't win those games because their offense is broken and they've got to get it fixed or nothing's going to happen. And that team's going to get blown up. $1 million. Don't cam costs. Don't million dollars. Ah, Yes, it's, you're right. I will right. I will continue to hammer Ryan Pace with the and fact you should. that Cam Newton cost $1 million because it was gross negligence on his part, and he, he deserves to get roasted for this. If Cam I, comes back and leads the Patriots to the playoffs while making pennies, then guess what? Ryan Pace deserves every, every single ill word that goes his way because he freaking blew it, man. Yeah, he blew it. He blew it, and he doubled down. He actually ended up paying Nick Foles an extension, trading a pick for him, and you know Cam was still available. And we've talked about the multiple options. Anyways, the bottom line is people are blaming the defense in Chicago for not doing enough, and I'm not having that slander. Not on my timeline. Not here. Not in the comments. It is not the defense's fault until the offense gets to what we'll call a, a general median modern level and can score somewhere between two and three touchdowns on a regular basis they are not going to win games uh and then the next stretch does not look good it looked much better uh at the beginning of the year again they're going into tampa bay or tampa bay is their game here coming up uh thursday this week and, i think they're hosting tampa and that is that is going to be a rough rough contest for them they're gonna have to get things fixed and they have to do it in a hurry and under pressure i'm not saying they can't i'm saying if they don't this season could turn around really quick and everybody's like what are you panicking for they're three and one blah 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 yes they are it's not looking good if you're looking at trends and who they're going up against it's going to be a tough road and and they're going to have to buck up and just score more points that's all there is to it their next three games are tampa panthers rams Mm -hmm. Saints. Yep. Yep. Titans. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good stretch. And then Vikings. So who who knows what the Vikings are going to be by week 10, but like oh my god. It's not a it's not a pushover for sure. We just talked about how how the Panthers are gelling and how good they are. Yes, they could have an off week and the Bears could take one from them. Tampa Bay, I don't know. The Rams are playing at a pretty high level. Um certainly have plenty of talent and a great scheme. The Titans are, you know, well put together, assuming that their players come back and they get back to health. That's a that's a big assumption. And like you said, who knows what a team will be, any team will be by week 10. But the Vikings have looked pretty darn good. Jefferson's had a couple of great games. Dalvin Cook's hitting at a very high level. That's both of those guys are taking pressure off Cousins. Um, you know, it's just if you look ahead and say uh, this team's been scoring, you know, typically in the low single digits for the first half, like 
it's it just it's not a good look they're gonna have to get it worked out and they're gonna have to do it on the fly and that's a tough thing to do in the nfl it's all right week 14 you got the texans so at least you got one more win coming your way oh geez we, I don't know, we should do something special for that game. We'll need to, we'll need to put some planning into that. Maybe we'll try and live yeah. stream it or something. Yeah, that sounds good to me. We'll just live stream my misery, but yeah, our right. misery. I, I think there's going to be misery. shared. I think there's going to be shared misery there. Somebody's, somebody has to win it. It's that kind of game. Have you guys ever watched a three-hour car crash? Because you're about to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's get ourselves out of here. A um, couple of notes. Keep your eye out uh, for the first round of custom bootleg T-shirts dropping on Twitter. We've sent them to friends of the podcast, folks that have supported us and helped us out on this crazy journey. I've got a thread going on Twitter. We're going to be adding... Uh, additions there as folks get their t-shirts and tweet out pictures of them uh it's fun we've got them in lots of different uh, team colors so you can see what they might look like in your team's colors um what do you got going you told us uh film room this week is you basically having catharsis with bill wrecking your franchise is that right yeah it's all about the uh the wonders of bill o'brien this week i i was working on a uh browns run game episode but i also way more fun why did you get off that well, because they're playing the Colts this week, and I really want to see how they do against okay. Indy. Just all right from a, fair, a fair nerd perspective, like we're getting Wyatt Teller versus DeForest Buckner this week. That's going to be fun. So I'd rather mm-hmm. break that down. I, I I can I can dunk on Bob for one week just to see how they do against Indy. Like that's strength versus strength, which I always love doing film rooms on that. Cool. Um, yeah, we've got a bears over beers this week on my other podcast. We get the wrap up podcast because we typically have the Thursday or Friday slot. And because the bears play on Thursday, uh, we worked it out with Robert Schmitz who usually does the wrap up and we're going to do the wrap up this week. Uh, that's Jeff Burkus and I on bears over beers. So that'll be coming out Friday morning. Um, I don't really have anything else and we've already dragged on for an hour and 30 minutes. So, um, we're going to let all you folks go. I know you clamor for a three hour podcast, but I don't think, I don't think I could stay awake for three hours this particular evening. It's, you think it's you already 10 o'clock. Oh yeah. I, it's, it's a long week for me. That would be another 90 minutes. I don't <laughs> think either one of us would be awake and I don't think you uh, sign up to listen to snoring. So we're going to let it out with, uh, the good content we've put together. Keep following us, uh, both on Twitter. You can follow Brett, uh, at the film room on YouTube as well. And until then, uh, enjoy. It's been a wild season. I don't see it getting any less wild as we go on. We've seen some great performances. There's plenty more of that to come. We'll chronicle it all here on the bootleg football podcast. So keep watching and hang in there. We will talk to you soon. Later. Later.